before I start, I've shared this quote before, but I think it, it serves us well to be reminded. John Piper wrote this. He said, I love the Bible the way I love my eyes. Not because my eyes are lovely, but because without them, I can't see what's lovely. Without the Bible, I could not know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Without the Bible, I would not know that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. I love the Bible because it gives the wisdom that leads to salvation and shows me that this salvation is nothing less than seeing and savoring the glory of Christ forever. And then provides for me inexhaustible ways of seeing and knowing and enjoying Christ. I love the Bible. And this morning, we get to love the Bible once again as we study God's Word. So turn with me to chapter 4. We will continue in 1 Peter. Now when Peter wrote this letter, if you remember, Christianity was fairly new, about 30 years old. And most unbelievers were in, in Peter's letter, when he talks about Gentiles, he's not talking about Gentiles in a religious sense. He's talking about Gentiles in a general sense, meaning unbelievers. And so when these Gentiles, these unbelievers saw this new faith, they, they opposed it. They mischaracterized it with false accusations and lies, uh, mostly because they didn't understand it. But it also, and as we will read on this morning, they also opposed it because of the the moral high ground that it took. The, the same is still true today, but, but Christianity is not new now. It's more than 2,000 years old. But what bridges this 2,000-year gap between Peter's letter and our time is, is what people today still don't understand about the Christian faith. No, it's what they feel about Christianity. Christianity, those who are following after Christ, make people feel guilty. And, they, and, and those people don't know why. They, they, they don't know why. And what they don't realize, and maybe at times maybe what we don't realize, is that, is that when light enters darkness, it brings to light everything. It exposes what is in the dark. It brings, and so it brings shame. And, and because of that, and because of that guilt, people, people react and, they, and they, they hate Christ and they hate all who follow him. Now, this is the reality of being a follower of Christ. It's a reality that is never going to change. It's a reality that we are going to have to face day in and day out in our world. But that is not, our hope does not lie in, in where people accept us. Our hope lies in Christ who, who died for our sins. As Devin just read in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, a, a future, a promise that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. I, I find uh, th- these these words to me have, have become... I, I realize every passage of Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. But there are certain passages that just leap out at you, and this is one. This, this, this should be, our, our, this should be our, our, our church theme. Oh, born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. And, and Peter writes those words, born again to a living hope, because he is aware of the suffering that these Asia Minor believers, this, this time in, in Peter's life when he's writing to these churches in Asia Minor, he's aware that they are suffering for Christ and that their suffering is only going to get more intense, it's going to increase, and he is preparing them to suffer. He's preparing them to to face what is going to be even a more difficult time. And and I've as I've said earlier, we in in when we first began this series, the the reality when I became a Christian forty four years ago was that Christianity was still had this level of respect in society. And now 44 years later, Christianity has very little standing in society, if none at all. And 44 years may seem like a long time, but the, the, the rapidity of, of, our, of how we're looked at in society, it, it's growing It's growing more difficult every day. So Peter writes. He writes as a pastor. He writes as a friend. And he writes to say, okay, here's here's what you're going to face and here's how you need to stand. So look with me in chapter 4 in verse 1. Peter. Peter writes, since therefore... Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. I'm going to pray again. Father, please help us. 
to receive your word this morning. And please help me to preach this word and represent you and your glory and your goodness. Oh, glorify your name this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Two points for this message. The first one is this in verses 1 through 4. Peter is talking about a willingness to suffer for Christ rather than pursuing the pleasures of sin. A willingness to suffer for Christ rather than pursuing the pleasures of sin. In first in first Peter chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 Peter Peter tells his readers the the future that the pathway to this stunning inheritance will lead. He says in verse 6, he says, now that he's given all this wonderful, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you inheritance. This is all that God has done for you. This is, this is what God will do for you in the coming years in, in, when, you, when you stand before his judgment throne. And then in verse 6, he says this, in this you rejoice. In this, in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about, listen, this wonderful inheritance that you've been given, this, this joy of knowing that God has is guarding your inheritance. It's, he's keeping it in heaven for you. Uh, oh yeah, by the way, um, as you rejoice for a little while, you're going to be grieved by various trials. And the trials that Peter speaks of are not trials of physical suffering or financial difficulty or relational troubles. He's talking about the trials of being a follower of Christ, of suffering for following Christ, of persecution. Those are the trials he's talking about. And he's saying that your your faith is going to be tested to prove whether or not it is genuine. And here in chapter 4, this explains what that tested is going to be, that testing is going to be for the believer. Because the pathway to the stunning inheritance that, that Peter tells us we will have, that he promises, that pathway, it is littered with pain and suffering for being a follower of Christ. And so Peter tells them in 1.7 why they're being tested. They're being tested so that their faith is proven genuine. So that on the day when, when somebody says, Lord, Lord, and the Lord does not say, depart from me, I never knew you. That th- their faith is proven as genuine. And so in 4, 1 through 6, he tells them what they must do to pass the test. Peter's counsel, it is wise, it is practical, and it's deeply theological as he begins with the gospel in verse 1 of chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. There's the gospel right there. 
Peter says, okay, here's, here's how you pass the test. The first thing that you do is you anchor your life in the truth of the gospel. Christ died for you. Christ saved you. Christ, you were born again to a living hope. That's what they must do. And he, and he looks back even further what Devin preached last week to, to verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So Peter is saying, okay, here's, here's the beginning of passing the test. It is anchoring your life in the gospel, understanding that your suffering will shape you and will prove your faith, the genuineness of your faith in God. And as, as we remember, this, this is what it's like to be a follower of Christ. Christ suffered, verse 18 of chapter 3, for Christ suffered once for sins. And now he says in chapter 4, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way for whoever has suffered in the flesh. In other words, you are going to suffer in the flesh, in the body. Your, your body, your physical body is going to suffer. And that's okay because you're doing what Peter earlier said in chapter 2, verse 21. He said, so that you might follow in his steps. You are following in his steps. And so we follow in his steps. And, and Peter says here, so, so since here is this gospel, he goes, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, the same attitude. Think like Christ, aware that suffering is inevitable, like soldiers preparing for battle. These believers, Peter is telling them, listen, listen, you Christians in Asia Minor, here's what you must prepare yourself for suffering. Arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with, with the way Christ thought. Since, since Christ suffered in the flesh, he knew what it's like. He knew what it was like to, to experience the, the rejection and the ridicule and the mockery and the hatred. He understood what it was like to physically suffer. Arm yourselves. Think like Christ. with an attitude of obedience to the Father's will. In other words, when we suffer for Christ, it's, it's God's will. That's not a popular truth. Look at Mark 14.36, and it'll be on the screen and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The cup that Jesus drank, the cup of suffering and death, the cup of crucifixion. God's will. God's will. So an attitude of obedience to the Father's will. An attitude of humility. An attitude of humility. Back in chapter 2, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. An attitude of humility. 
which had an attitude of trusting God. Verse 23, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He, he refused. He refused to give in to his own self-preservation, his own selfishness, but to do the Father's will. Now, there is, there can be a little difficulty in this. Actually, there's a lot of difficulty in this passage. Should have had Devin do this as well. Um, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. (laughs) Is Peter saying that if you suffer for following Christ... You won't sin anymore? Really? Bring it on. Just give it to me a little bit, then I'll stop. Now that, that is not what Peter is saying. He's not saying here that if his readers suffer, they will, they will never sin again. He is well aware of every believer's temptation to sin. It's why he tells them in, in chapter 1, verse 14, He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, the passions that we had before coming to Christ, the the temptations we had, the the things we we like to do that were not moral, that were were opposed to God's word, those those things, those temptations still exist. And the reality that we can follow those temptations still exists. So Peter is is not coming to a, oh yeah, you can have a sinless perfection if you just suffer a little for Christ. No, in fact, he tells us in chapter 2, verse 11, that, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So you're at war with these passions. And it's why you have to arm yourself. You're at war with these things. So, So he... What, what is Peter saying then? If he's not saying that, that we have totally ceased from sin, well, I think Romans 6 helps us to understand what Peter is saying here about ceasing from sin. You can follow along. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but grace. See, these these verses help us to understand Peter's thinking here. The, the temptation to sin, yes, it's ever present, but we've been saved from the power of sin and we've been saved from the penalty of sin. And even though we are at war with our passions, it is a war, Peter knows, Christ has already won. That we're not victims. We're not victims. We're new creations in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, Paul writes, the new has come. Sin is no longer our master. Yes, sin may torment us at times. But it has no power over us. And does not have to defeat us. Listen, Peter, Peter himself was well aware of the temptation 
to sin. And, and, and his, if you look back at Peter's greatest sin, it was the sin he committed when he was placed in the position to suffer for Christ. In Luke 22, verses 54 through 62, if you remember that, it, it, is, it is one of the most profound passages in, in the Gospels where Jesus has been arrested, Jesus has been beaten, Jesus has been mocked, Jesus is suffering, and Peter is in this courtyard at night, there's fires going, and this servant girl comes to him, you were with him. No, I was not. And then another comes to him and says, hey, weren't you with Jesus at? And Peter denies it. No, I, I was not. And then a third time, someone comes and a rooster crows and, the, and, and, and Luke writes, and Jesus looked at Peter and Peter looked at Jesus at that moment. They made eye contact. The moment the moment Peter had denied the Lord three times for self-preservation, to avoid suffering. I think that failure, that failure to suffer for Christ was the most bitter moment in Peter's life. But, but, the gospel transformed Peter. In Acts chapter 5, Read with me. We, we see a totally different Peter when faced with suffering. They arrested the apostles and put them in, the pub, in public prison. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That was Peter. Peter went from being a man who denied Christ three times to a man who said, I am, I am honored to suffer for the name of Christ. And so, so Peter's saying, listen, listen, this is, think like Christ. Think like Christ. You, there needs to be a willingness to suffer for Christ rather than pursuing the pleasures of sin. And, and now in, in verse 2, Peter goes on, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Not only must they think like Christ, they must live like Christ so as to live the rest of the time in the body, in this, in this human body, which is tempted, which is weak, which is tired, which hurts. This human body that, that is, is, is only going to last so long. This human body that has been stamped with a sell-by date. This, this human body, you've got to live in this body. And in, as you're living in this body, you're going to suffer. And so if you suffer, if you suffer, Peter, Peter writes here, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, rather than living for the pleasures and, and, and passions that, that tempt you, war against your own sinful passions and live for the will of God. And, and those, those who, who suffer unjustly because of their faith in Christ, they, they demonstrate that they are living for the will of God. 
and not for their passions. In Hebrews 5.8, the, the writer of Hebrews said, speaking of Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So, so you, are, you are not only proving the genuineness of your faith when you suffer, you're learning obedience. Now, I, I recognize we, we're sitting here in Montgomery County, Maryland, one of the wealthiest counties in the world. And we live in the United States. And we're, we don't live in one of the over 100 countries in the world that does today still physically persecute Christians. Just last week, reading in the newspaper in China, the Chinese government has gone through and has shut down every evangelical church and said, the only church you are allowed to go to is the church that the government has established. And that church is literally no church at all. It is just a, a, a house of propaganda for the communist Chinese government. And if you continue to read in the paper again and again, you will see, or paper online, sorry, um, dating myself. Newspaper, by the way, is one of those things that opened up its paper and had words on it. You found out the news. You laugh, but... Marilyn showed me this clip from this talk show the other day and they brought a 17-year-old girl up and they said, okay, you have three tasks. You, this is a map. And she opened this, per, the person doing the show opened up the map and said, okay, now I want you to fold the map. Here's the yellow pages. I want you to find this business in the yellow pages and here's a rotary phone. I want you to dial the rotary phone. And so this girl after five minutes, finally just could not do the map. She just threw it aside. Then she, she spent five minutes in the, in the yellow pages trying to find this business. And it was, it was so-and-so muffler. And she's looking under cars. And then she's, she's, looking, under, she's looking under another thing. And, and finally, she, she could never find it in the yellow pages. Now, she actually knew what the yellow pages was because it said on top, yellow pages. And then, and then finally, there's a rotary phone. She, and they said, okay, here's the number. Call the rotary phone. And so she looks at the rotary phone and she never picks up the handle. She just dials, 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 dials. And finally picks up the phone and says, hello? <laughs> Millennials. <laughs> Don't know what a newspaper is. There is, there is little physical suffering, if any, that we experience here. And so these, these words of Peter, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and you're going to suffer in the flesh and you go home today and you're, you're not thinking about suffering, you're thinking about what's for lunch. I mean, some of you have already been thinking about what's for lunch. You're not thinking about suffering. But there's more going on in the United States than you are well aware of. There are, there are more subtle sufferings going on. Where businesses have diversity days and you have to support an agenda that is opposed to Scripture. Or you don't support it. There are people who lose promotions People I'm aware of who've lost promotions because they don't support 
political agendas, activist agendas at their place of business. There are people I know in our own church who've been maligned for the stands that they take that are biblical. Suffering is real. And the climate in the United States is not getting better. It's getting worse. And it's not just the United States. It's the world. And, and that's, the way, that's the way it works in the Bible. And so when, when we're reading these words about suffering and, and Peter telling us, hey, listen, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, don't live for your human passions, but live for the will of God. Listen, he's, he's talking about those, those human passions is to avoid suffering. It's to avoid the reality of being, being mocked and ridiculed. It's about ducking. When you're in a situation and, and you have an opportunity to say, no, no, I don't agree with that. You remain silent. What are you giving into? He said, don't, don't give into these things anymore. And then he goes on in verse 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Listen, what, what he's saying there, Peter warns them that they, to live like Christ, they can't go back to their old way of life. That life is over. It's done with. Even though it will, it will mean becoming a social outcast. Listen, this is, here's the thing. The people that you used to hang with or, or the, the, the people that knew you before you came to faith in Christ, they, they, they look at your life, they don't get it. And that's, and that's what Peter is after here. They're, they're, Peter's saying, listen, don't, don't be the dog of Proverbs 20, 26. The dog that returned, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. In other words, the... the, the the person keeps going back and repeating the same sins over and over again, going back to the passions. Peter's saying, look, that time is over. Amen. That time is done. You don't go back to those things anymore. The old has passed away. The new has come. We cease from that wicked lifestyle. And he tells his readers more bluntly that, that their past experience of sin, it's sufficient. You've had it. You've tasted. And it is death. And so Peter says, no, don't go back. And, but he says, listen, here's, here's what's going to happen. When you, when you don't go back, when you've turned and, and when you, you stand for Christ, in verse 4, he says this, he says, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Peter draws the line for those who have died and have their life hidden with Christ in God. That past life went on long enough, but it's going to mean something. And this is where we, we, we suffer like Christ. If we, are, if we, are, if we want to be willing to suffer for Christ rather than pursue the passions of our former sins... This is what's going to happen. Because these readers no longer participate in this previous list of activities in verse 3, Peter tells them, um, hey, they're going to be surprised. They're, I mean, 
early on in my Christian life when I, I stopped doing the things I was doing, I mean, it was a thousand times, what happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to you? What, what's up? Come on. Come on, it's not that bad. Come on, you can do this. No, no, no. And Peter is saying, uh-uh. Uh-uh. They're going to be surprised that you don't join them. They, they want you to join them because it gives them hearty approval to do what they want to do. And Peter says, no. But when you don't join them, brothers and sisters, They're going to malign you. They're going to malign you because you're different. You're, as Peter says, a sojourner and an exile. You don't belong in that world anymore. You're, you're a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people for God's own possession that rather than joining in, you are to proclaim the excellencies who, of the one who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, there, there's, there's, the, there's the end goal, is, is the glory of God and the proclamation of who this God is, that when we are, we are asked, we are draw, trying to be drawn into this, this world of sin, no, 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 we are different, and we don't participate. Rather, we proclaim the excellencies of the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, regardless of the fact that it will malign us. And malign we will be. Family and friends, they're not only going to be surprised when we stop sinning or when we stop sinning, they get angry. They get angry. We've deserted them. We've betrayed them. John Barclay, a commentator, wrote this. He said, Christians deserted ancestral practices, passed on since time immemorial, for a novel religion of re recent manufacture. He's writing from about First Peter. The exclusivity of the Christian's religion, their arrogant refusal to take part in or to consider valid the worship of any god but their own, deeply wounded public sensibilities. Yeah, such an unnatural and ungrateful attitude to the gods even branded them as atheists. So, get that? Because you don't worship the gods of this world. Money, sex, power, materialism, reputation. You don't, you don't worship those gods. Hopefully you don't worship those gods. You're an atheist to this society. Listen, our culture does not have idols of wood and stone, but they do have idols. They have, they have lawless idols. They have idols of success and reputation and money and pleasure and wealth. And when Christians don't run after these things and they join, they don't, you're not running with them anymore. You, you, are, you are branded. You are branded as antisocial. That's what it means to be maligned. You're antisocial. You are an atheist. You are a bigot. You are a racist. You are homophobic. You are misogynistic. And we can come up with a long list of what you are because you do not. And Peter is saying, 
Don't go there. Don't go back. Don't go back like a dog. Don't return, but suffer. 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 And, and in, in 1 Peter 1, he made sure to tell us, listen, listen, when you're grieved by various trials, remember it's, your faith is being tested for its genuous, genuineness, which is more precious than gold. The transforming effect of the gospel on our lives, on Peter's life, is that we would willingly suffer rather than return to the pleasures of sin. That's the transforming effect of the gospel. We would willingly suffer rather than return to to the pleasures of sin. D. Edmund Hebert said this, a life of Christian holiness is a happy life, but it is very costly. It is very costly. All right, the second point that Peter makes is the, the, the transforming effect of the gospel not only, not only gives us a willingness to suffer and, and keeps us from the pleasures of sin, but the transforming effect of the gospel gives us hope in the promise of eternal life rather than the fear of judgment. See, Peter, Peter says, look, okay, we, I get it. You guys are, you guys are, are, are suffering. I, okay, but, but understand that those who malign you, and this is immediately following verse 4, where he says, they malign you, but, he says in verse 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They... Those who, who malign you, those who ridicule you, those who mock you, those who oppose you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. With pastoral wisdom, Peter turns his reader's attention to the future effects and promises of the gospel, to, to the eternal hope they have in Christ. The, the unbelievers in Asia Minor, they enjoyed the favors of living in a Greco-Roman culture. They were accepted and they were praised for their lifestyle while Christians were maligned and, and, and made as outcast. But God has the last word. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, in other words, we all die, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. In other words, unbelievers have judgment awaiting them. Now, does that make you happy? I hope not. I hope not. We don't rejoice that those who don't know Christ will suffer a judgment. In fact, we've been placed here to proclaim the excellencies of him who has taken us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. We've, we've been placed here to proclaim that truth that these who are maligning us would not malign us anymore, but would worship him. That, that's, that's, that's what we are, are called to do. And, and, and yet, we are also to take comfort that God will vindicate us. That God is watching over us. That God is present with us. That we are, we are not alone. And God is aware of what is happening to us. And those who refuse to come to Christ, those who reject God, those who shake their fist at God, those who turn their back on God, they will be judged. 
And it will be a tragic judgment. God's judgment awaits them. And, and, and it awaits them. And, and it says here that he who is ready. In other words, there, there is this sense of at any moment. At any moment, God could judge them. Unbelievers who malign and persecute Jesus and his followers will be judged at any moment. Now, be aware, unbelievers aren't the only ones who will come before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us will. All of us who, who profess faith in Christ, all of us will come before the judgment seat of God. But not, we will not come in fear because the gospel promises that, that Jesus who suffered in our place, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He, he will bring us to God at the judgment seat. He will be our advocate. He will be our attorney. He will, he will say, no, 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 I, I died for them. That judgment seat will not be a moment of judgment for us because Christ has already been judged. It will be a moment of celebration for us because we will be Entering into the presence of God for all eternity. And, and Peter goes on to tell them that's exactly what's going to happen. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Now, he's not talking about, did, did someone go down into, into hell and preach the gospel to all the people who had died? That all these dead bodies and, and all these people were coming up out of their coffins and, and the gospel was preached and some actually heard the gospel? No, no, that's not what he's talking about here. So you might ask, well, what is he talking about? He is, the, the NIV has, a, has a, actually a better reading of this. The NIV says that the gospel, this is why the gospel was preached to those who are now dead. And, and Peter's looking back. And, and here's what happened. In, in, these, in these days in, in Asia Minor, in these churches, when a Christian died, the society around them, the unbelievers around them said, see, what's the point of Christianity? What's the point of the good news? There's no good news. He died too. We're all going to die. So it really doesn't matter whether you believe this, this thing about Jesus or not, because Everybody dies. It's, 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 it's of no benefit. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. No, he said, look, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, that though judged in the flesh, in other words, every person in this room will be judged in the flesh. Understand that, that the judgment of Adam, when death entered into the world, when Adam and Eve turned away from God, when they rebelled against God, Death entered into the world. Now, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, death is, our last, is the last enemy, and it's, it's being defeated. The sting of death is no more. But, but the reality of physical death still exists. We're all going to die. Every one of us. And some of us are, are, are much closer than others. I'm not talking about me. I'm just thinking about a couple other people here. Um, <laughs> We're all going to die. And, and that's what Peter is saying here, that we are all going to be judged in the flesh the way people are. Though, listen, they might, though they are judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. In other words, eternity with God. 
And, and that's, the, that's the hope that, that Peter gives here. That's the hope that he proclaims that this, we're not going to die if we've come to faith in Christ. We're, we have an eternity with God. The gospel has transformed this fear of death into this reality of hope. Now, I get the, I get the fear of the unknown. What, what's going to happen when, when we physically die? And I don't know. Haven't been there. Don't plan on it anytime soon. But, but what I have is the creator of the universe telling me that when I physically die, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. When I, when I physically die, the way all people do, I might live in the Spirit the way God does. And, and, and with that death comes an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, Amen. and unfading. That, that, that day when I stand before the throne of God, that, in, that inheritance is going to be revealed to me. And I would thought, I, I really, I think I will think at that moment, why did I live so long? Why, what, what, was, what was so attractive about this world that I wanted to stay when, when this is before me? And, and not only that, but, but Peter says later on in chapter 1, he says, said, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when we see Christ, if we've been genuine, if our faith has been real, if we have, have not given in to the pleasures of sin, but willingly suffered for Christ, he is saying, listen, that moment you are going to hear praise and honor and glory placed upon you by the Savior. That's, that's, that's what we're living for. The gospel, the gospel is never intended to save people from physical death. Because I said, all of us are going to die. That's the effects of Adam's sin. But death is not the last word for us. Life, life is, even though at our funeral we will look dead and we will be dead. I, I read the story. Edward was lying on his deathbed and the family was taking turns spending time with him. As he was speaking to his young granddaughter, Emily, Edward suddenly smelled an all too familiar smell. Why, it was his favorite apple pie. His wife, Sandy, must have been baking it for him to enjoy one last time. Emily, dear, asked Edward, would you please go ask Grandma for a slice of that apple pie? It smells so delicious. Emily ran off to fulfill her dying grandfather's last wish. A moment later, and Emily returned empty-handed. Where's my pie? Question Edward. Grandma said, it's not for now, responded Emily. It's for the funeral. <laughs> but here's the deal. I don't care what happens after I die. I don't care what happens going on while I'm dying because I know where my hope lies. I know where my hope lies. My hope lies, as Peter tells me, my hope lies that I will live in the Spirit the way God does. I'll always be alive in Christ. Even when I suffer in my body, 
I will be alive in Christ. And that's what the gospel promises. That's what the effect on me will be. And it should be the effect on you as well. That you are, you are willing to suffer rather than return to sin. And that you have a hope and not a fear because you will always be alive in Christ. Two powerful transforming effects that the gospel has on the life of a believer. What a wonderful truth Peter gives us. Father, thank you that, that we don't have to fear death. And thank you we don't have to fear suffering because we know you are always with us. You will always be with us to the end of the age. And we don't have to, to worry about what we do not know because there is you, as you promised, awaiting for us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading that you are keeping for us until that final final day and lord we pray oh help us help us to keep our eyes fixed on the author and finisher of our faith and not on the circumstances around us oh lord we ask this in jesus name amen